welcome to Stories with Drinks, where we over-psychoanalyze characters from our favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And I'm Tyler, he, his, him. And today we are going back in time a little bit to a classic franchise and then expanded universe to a world where anything is possible where creatures can come back to life and be so cool that is right we are talking about dinosaurs and we are talking about jurassic park so tyler your get to know you question i am prepared what's your favorite dinosaur oh well that's an easy one that would be dinonychus which is what the actual raptors in jurassic park were based after because velociraptors are the size of like a chicken but utah raptors or deinonychus are the size of like a person and super deadly and hunted in packs we think and we're clever girls so the clever girls are my favorite by far easy no hesitation clever girls clever girls. wrote a whole wrote a whole paper on them in undergrad clever girls <laughs> you you were on it what about you um, it kind of varies depending on like what I'm into. I think like the Tyrannosaurus Rex is always like a classic when you're kind of in like a, and too bad this isn't visual podcast, but the, and I'm making all the dinosaur noses and claw marks, but you can't go wrong with like a good old like Triceratops either. Growing up, I was a huge fan of the Pterodactyls, mostly because of Power Rangers and the pink Power Ranger, but Probably going into adulthood, it would it'd be the good old-fashioned T-Rex. When I think T-Rex, it's the, the Meet the Robinsons. I have a big head and little arms. Little arms. I have a bunch of T-Rexes in my room. Dinosaurs are really cool. This is exciting. But Tyler, I do believe you have a new client. So let's dive on in. I do, but first I have to take you back in time. I have to take you back to a mystical time, a wonderful time, a time when in reality I was one years old. That's right, <laughs> kids. We're going to 1993. Let's go all aboard the time machine as we go back to 1993. And we are in an in-gen facility off the coast of, actually, no, we would be in Costa Rica at this point. We would not be off the coast anymore. <laughs> Following the events of the Isla Nublar incident, AKA the fall of the original Jurassic Park. And I am working here as a therapist, debriefer person for InGen. I'm getting paid a lot of money to not talk about what we're gonna talk about in here. So confidentiality <laughs> is always a thing, but when you got an NDA and a big fat paycheck, it's even better. You won't nice. tell nobody. So I'm here debriefing the survivors of the Isla Nublar incident. And I actually have the honor, nay the privilege, to be debriefing this client. Uh, this client is John Hammond, CEO of InGen, 65 years old, cisgender man, heterosexual, white European Scottish. So what's going on with this man? Well, we're here doing a debrief. He is one of the survivors of the Isla Nublar incident. He out of the survivors seems to be the one that is the most shaken and the most not coping well following the incident. So he was sent to me for some additional therapy besides just the basic debrief that everybody got. So what are we talking about with him? Well, 
those of us that are in the know, and uh, I'm just going to assume here that we've all got the dossier. Uh, we mm -hmm. all know. We all, we we all, all know. are familiar with the Isla Nublar incident. Yes. A hacker instituted a virus that powered down the Jurassic Park theme park, which allowed the dinosaurs to escape and kill a number of people, uh, including employees, and placed my client and his family members and some very important people that he invited to see the park in serious danger for a little while. So he's coming in to process three things majorly from this event. The first is processing the traumatic event itself. He was in the park when it happened. He saw people die. He saw violence happen at the hands of these, you know, monstrous animals that were killing people left and right. From what I've heard, I wasn't on the island, so I don't know. He also survived watching his grandkids be in danger, not knowing if they were safe for a period of time because he was separated from them following a T-Rex attack. And knowing that he himself was in danger uh, for some time from the raptors that were loose within the park. So the first thing is processing trauma. Second thing that we're looking at here is processing grief. As I said, John Hammond is the one who kind of came out out of all of these survivors. He was the one that came out the most shaken. And I think it has to do with a couple of things. His age is a big one. We've talked about Ericksonian stages before. He's nearing that end of life stage where everything is about your legacy. Everything is about what did you accomplish in your life? What are you reflecting on? What are you looking into as meaning making for your life? And he has suffered a dramatic loss of what that legacy was going to be, what he wanted it to be. Uh, also the loss of a dream, the dream of having this amusement park that was amazing and the most technologically advanced thing anybody's ever seen was able to bring back extinct species. And that dream is now gone. And he even says it's too dangerous to keep open. I do not endorse it anymore. I don't think it's a good idea. And then finally, we have processing self-loathing and depression. Because if you, you know, he reported not really remembering leaving the island. I've talked to a couple of the other survivors doing, do, during basic debrief, and they were saying he just kind of was zoning out, staring at the mosquito and amber on his cane and uh, not really processing well. He took a moment before leaving the island where he was just kind of looking at everything as it was being destroyed and really taking in the carnage and the violence that happened. So we have this immense self-loathing and immense depression happening following this event, including him saying things like, I don't know how I could have let myself do this. I could have gotten my grandchildren killed. I was a victim of my own hubris. These are not quotes from the movie. These are what I would assume he, was, he would say. And so you go into those three things and you start thinking, as a therapist, how do we start working with this? There's so much here. There's just so much pain. There's so much loss. There's so much trauma. Where do we start? And if I were working with him as a therapist, that's the question I'd ask him. I would say, hey, what are you coming in for? These are the three things he's pointed out. And I would say, what are the things that you feel are the most important to work on first? Obviously, we're going to work on all of them, and it might take a little while. Processing complex trauma like that takes a long time. 
Uh, and I tell people that when they come into me that are, you know, experiencing complex trauma or experienced complex trauma, we're going to take things slow. We're not going to just on day one, dive in and be like, tell me about the incident. What happened? It's just not how it works. Uh, you got to build up trust. You've got to build up a relationship. You, you really, really are playing with fire if you just dive in head first before you even really know the person, in my opinion. So I would ask him, what do you want to start with? And I think he would probably, the thing most pressing on his mind is either that self-loathing or the loss. And they're all tied back into the trauma. They are all connected. None of these things is a separate issue. So you are going to be working on the trauma as you're working on these other things. So let's just say for argument's sake, the thing that's most pressing is the self-loathing and depression because he's saying some things that might be a little bit safety you know, issuey because those things typically are what lead to suicidal ideation. And he's not saying anything like that right now, but it would be the thing that I want to talk about first because it's also the symptom management piece that is easy to tackle first. So really talking to him about what are those regrets you have about yourself? Let's dig into what those thoughts are. Are they true? Are they realistic? Are they, you know, really a fair judgment of you and what happened in there? Is it really, was your intent to get these people hurt? No. He, his intent was to provide this excellent entertainment experience. His intent wasn't for people to get hurt or to get killed and to remind him of that because his brain is only going to focus on the violence and the carnage. And it could be that he would have a hard time hearing some of this stuff right away too, because he's still blaming himself and really pointing the pain and trauma reaction inward, because I do think that's what he would do. So it really is just talking to him about what do you regret? What are those regrets? Are they realistic? Are they fair? That is a regret you have. Okay. Once we have that, you kind of go, okay, well, what do we do with that? What do we do with that, that emotion of regret? What does it tell you? What is the information it's bringing you? And regret usually is, you know, hey, I messed up. That's what that feeling is telling you. It's telling you that the decisions you made hurt somebody else. And in this case, killed, killed a couple people. So you go, okay, well, how can we make amends for that? And everybody's different here. So my way of doing that with clients and approaching with that, I'm never like, hey, let's make amends. Let's make a list of people and discuss the ways in which you can make up for it. I don't do that typically. Now, that doesn't mean that that's not a style that other therapists do. That certainly is. There's a lot, especially people who work with addictions and 12-step. That's a huge part mm -hmm. of 12-step programs is making amends. I discuss it in a similar way of like, what can we do with this energy that's going to help you to get closure, help you to move forward in a way that's healthy for you. So, you know, if making amends is part of that, what does that look like for you? He's a man with a lot of money, but it could be that that to him, that like just giving the family's money or, you know, whatever might happen there isn't going to feel genuine because he does have kind of a change of heart throughout the film. Uh, so I would say that by the end, he's probably a little bit more, altruistic than money driven and looking into what's in, what's really important. And so how can you, you know, help with this? Can you memorialize the people who were lost in some way? Can you 
provide closure to the victims through making the story public? Can like, what are the things you can do within your power and within reason that can help the people who need closure from this to get that closure? And to know that even if you try to make amends with them, they can still choose to not be okay with you. And that's part of this too. So that would be the thing that I would start with with him is just discussing that kind of stuff. And then moving forward from that, going back to those processing the grief of those losses of his dream and the loss of his legacy and really discussing and breaking that down and possibly reframing it, you know, oh, the loss of this theme park with this idea that I had that was going to be amazing was going to be my legacy. It was going to be what I left behind and discussing like, is that really what was important? You've got your grandchildren, you've got your kids, you've got, you've got a company that is successful. Is the amusement park really what was going to be your legacy? Is it not your, your grandchildren who are going to be your legacy? And discussing with him the reframing of what does that actually mean? Or to quote Hamilton, what is a legacy? And really just moving through that with him in a very open, non-judgmental way and just approaching all of this stuff from a very open perspective, I think it's really easy to see him as somebody to point the blame towards mm -hmm. with this incident. However, that's not what he needs. What he needs is somebody who's going to listen, going to help him through this and work, you know, work out what's going on in his head and not get in the way by going, you know what, yeah, but all those people died. And like, this would be a case in which gentler hands would be more prevailing. Whereas in, you know, other cases, you can be a little bit more forward and a little bit more confrontational, but in a, in a healthy way with clients, I don't think that that would work as well with him, considering just where he's at. So finally, after getting those two things out of the way, after he's built some trust with me, he knows I'm not going to judge him. He knows that it's a safe place in here where we can talk about whatever. This could be three, four, five, six months down the road, even longer for some. I've got a lot of clients with complex trauma and it takes a while for them to open up. Some of them are ready to go right away. <laughs> and in that case, you're kind of like, whoa, 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 we need to slow down and work on some other stuff first. But for the most part, people are not willing to open up quite that much until they feel that you are a safe place. And so maybe six months down the line, he comes in and says, you know what, I'm ready to tell the story of what happened. He can't tell it publicly. The company's not allowing him to do that. I'm under a non-disclosure agreement and he's confidential anyway. So we're going to say, okay, tell me it here. You can't tell it anywhere else. The only people who really can talk about it with besides me are the people who were there, the other survivors. And that might be something helpful in the future. Uh, again, coming from the idea that this is an in-gen sponsored therapy, uh, it could be that we do a group with everybody who survived. Mm -hmm. We get, you know, we get Ian Malcolm and uh, Lex and the other survivors in the room and we all just talk and we say like, what was it like? What was the story? How are you doing? Do you have dreams or flashbacks? Because that's usually what happens with traumatic things like this. And I would imagine John would have that. Uh, I imagine John would be waking up in a cold sweat, feeling as though he's back in Jurassic Park. And so really, as we're processing this, taking it slow, letting him drive the story where it's going and paying a close attention on how 
uh, what we would call how activated he's getting or how emotional he's getting because there is a window of tolerance, which is the actual term uh, of where change can be affected. And so if somebody is not emotionally activated enough, then they're not going to change because it's not uncomfortable enough to change. But it, on the other hand, if somebody's so emotionally activated that they can't think, mm -hmm. there can be no change affected either. You have to find that happy medium. And so as the therapist, that's my job when we're processing a trauma narrative is to sit there and just go, okay, where's he at? Like, and to have that barometer and also to listen to the story. A lot of therapy is rubbing your stomach and patting your head at the same time. You're thinking about multiple things at once. You're multitasking and you're working towards it. It's useful to be able to multitask and keep your mind on one subject, but different parts of it. And right here, you're judging, you know, where, where he is and how activated he is. And then on the other side, you're judging how activated you are mm -hmm. and it, whether you have feelings that are coming up and you're also listening to him talk and share that story. And you're also trying to think of what you're going to say next after he's done sharing that story. So there's so many things going on at once, but it really becomes this sort of flow that you can dive into once you've practiced it enough and you feel comfortable doing it. You can like, at least for me, my experience is that I just kind of sit down and, and as somebody with trauma, especially as somebody's going through the story, I am like in the flow of this is what we're talking about. This is what's going on. And you can describe that for yourself, Jen, if that's a little different for you, because I know you also work with trauma and grief a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the where am I in the room? Where are they in the room? Where are they in their head? <laughs> where are they going back to what is their body experiencing in the room and like kind of balancing all that especially like the when do I need to say something and when do I not need to say something when do I need to let them just tell their story and I think you made a great point about like when you're too emotionally responsive versus like I'm kind of zoning out maybe disassociating a little bit while telling the story and helping them find that balance of like you're not ready to process if you don't have the coping skills to handle the feelings of the processing and mm -hmm. you're not ready to process if there's still a part of you that's gonna say like nope we're shutting down it's too painful um, and being able to recognize those parts and say it's okay that our body's responding that way and talking about the process of it um, and letting them lead their story and something that I like to do, especially with cases like this, is sometimes clients don't have the words to experience a trauma. Like, like you'd be like, yeah, a, a T-Rex attacked me. It's hard to even comprehend what to say to that in the sense of like, how do you describe a T-Rex attack? And asking them like, have you ever seen something and seen fear in song or in music or a song or TV or movies that related to how you felt that day? And can we process it through that way first if you don't feel safe enough to process your trauma first? And like, how are other ways we can express this if it's hard to say the exact words or you have the words, you just don't know how to communicate them yet. And yeah, I think music's a great way of approaching that. Also expressive arts or having them draw what that experience was like, or even just metaphorical speaking, which yeah. we, you know we're, again, trained to be pretty good at that symbolic speaking of like, you know, okay, what was it like? Mm -hmm. for this thing to attack you not 
what specifically happened. I'm not looking for the specifics of like it reached right. out with its right claw and scratched the wall mm -hmm. above my head or whatever it was. I, it's more so like, what was that like? Yeah. You know, is it, was it like standing frozen as a train is coming down the tracks and you know, you need mm -hmm. to move, but you can't like, right. is it a paralyzing fear? Did you have fight instead of, you know, freeze? Did, did you feel like, okay, this thing is coming towards me and it's me or it, and I'm going to mm -hmm. fight back. Did you have flight of this thing is coming towards me? I need to get the hell out of here. And finding compassion for whatever response that you did have, that there was no right response in that moment. Your body was just doing what it felt like it needed to, to, to get through the moment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The one I didn't speak on is fawn, which is the fourth one, which is our newer, our newer one mm -hmm. for that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Um, and especially that judgmental piece at the end with fawn uh, has become, I've seen pretty common mm -hmm. where it's, you know, I can't believe that I kowtowed to that person because they were triggering me. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you can. Like, let's look at what happened in your past and how you handled somebody trying to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And if it was, you know, this person's going to punch me in the face. And I go, no, 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 you can take my lunch money. And then they take it and then they leave. And the con like, that's the, that's the reaction you build mm -hmm. up. And that's a, you know, a very basic kind of bullying example, but it happens in lots of different ways. Right. If I'm this person or this kind of person, I react in this kind of way, they will stop. And it'll stop the fear. And that's kind of where those reaction-y places mm -hmm. come from. So all that to say, with John, really what we're going to be doing is a lot of processing that trauma narrative once we get there. But until then, teaching him coping skills, looking at these other pieces that are interconnected. Because all of those things build up on each other. And I think people who haven't done therapy before, people who are not as familiar with the process might think that, you know, we're not talking about the thing I want to talk about. Why aren't we talking about the thing I want to talk mm -hmm. about? And for me, as a therapist, I am very much like, let's take a look at the man behind the curtain. When you have questions, let's go. Yeah. I, I want to be able to tell you an answer. And if we need to change something, we can. But this is why. I want to give you my experience of this is why I do this. And this is how we can change it. Really, it's about moving through this stuff in the way that the client needs telling them this is how things work. They build up on each other. You have to build a foundation of coping skills. Then you can build up a little bit of framing with some of this related stuff. Then you put the drywall on of let's talk about the trauma. And then you do all the finishing work of now that we've processed and gotten this kind of starting to heal and starting to change, where do you move forward from here? Hmm. And then you're, and then you got a house, then you're done. Then you're done with that round of therapy. And so I yeah, that's John. Why John? Why John? Well, I think for me, if I'm being honest, like we were talking about this episode, talking about Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. and I was looking at the characters and I was like, Alan Grant would be interesting. He has this huge change of heart over the course of the film where he's like super anti-kid and then he hangs out with the kids and like mm -hmm. he's super not anti-kid. Like that's kind of interesting. Ian Malcolm doesn't really change over the course of the film. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, his role is like to just be there and be like, yeah, I told you so. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, wait, did I tell you so? <laughs> yeah. And I can't remember her name, but Laura Dern's character. Ellie Slater. Yes, Dr. Ellie Slater. So, and then Dr. Ellie Slater doesn't really 
change a whole lot either personality wise she she finds out that this stuff is real and has a really awesome experience of knowing that look at their you know she's a paleobotanist so it's like look at these plants they're (laughs) they're the right plants and she becomes a more protective i think figure she's a certified badass that's that's for sure Mm -hmm. But I think she was kind of a certified badass before they went to Isla Nublar. I don't think it was just just her. But then I got to John and I was thinking about John. Uh, and you called dibs on your character. So I, I was like, I'm going to take, I'm going <laughs> to. Did gonna... you want my character originally? No, no, oh, okay. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, but I was like, all right, hands off the kids then. And so I thought about John. And the thing that really stuck for me was that idea of, this was going to be my legacy Mm -hmm. and look at everything that I lost. And then, you know, a little peek behind the scenes, we go back and watch scenes from the movies or TV shows, or we'll, you know, look at things from the video game or look at excerpts from the book, whatever it might be. And so I rewatched the scene at the end of Jurassic Park. And John is just like dead eye staring into his Mm -hmm. cane. And the amount of pain and the difference between welcome to Jurassic Park and this quiet, frail, small man is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, that's why. And it gave us a nice, again, a nice like dichotomy between a younger character who survived this incident and an older character who survived right. this incident. Well, thank you. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back with more Jurassic Park. Hey y'all, this is Jennifer. We wanted to reach out and let you all know that we are on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories with Shrinks and on Twitter, Shrink Stories. We post before episodes, little sneak peeks about what we're talking about and trying to engage more with our community about the topic. You can find that and join the story with us online. Welcome back to Stories with Shrinks, where this week we're talking about Jurassic Park. And we are just going to dive right back into things with Jen, your new client. I do have a new client. We're actually jumping back to more present day-ish events. Um, And my client is Alexis Lexi Murphy, who is now 44 years old, cisgender female, coming into therapy to process the recent events that bring back family attention, memories and personal traumas she explained that she is the granddaughter of dr john hammond the ceo and creator of jurassic park and as a child her parents while her parents were in the middle of a divorce her grandfather had invited her and her brother to come visit the park prior to opening as a gift to distract them from what was going on at home and one thing that she really is i can tell she's kind of anxious about is like what my um public perception of her family is of the events that occurred is is all common knowledge now after so many years had gone by so she makes the comment that I probably already knew what happened and that she probably doesn't have to actually talk about it um because I must already know um 
and um, the idea that when dinosaurs are being brought back to life and the promise of an amusement park and uh, had gone horribly wrong, like the public knowledge um, is just out there, right? And I think this is the case for a lot of a lot of people who experienced a trauma that makes quote unquote the news. But um, I would want her to really focus on not so much what the public experience of the events was, but what her personal experience of the events were. And if she doesn't want to come in and tell the whole story, it would never be the way, but really letting her know that when she tells her story, it's genuinely her truth of the story and not what I maybe could read on the internet or what I could read in the, the papers or, you know, what I read when that famous book was written by the person who experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, and letting her know that her truth of the story in our room is what matters. Um, and she explains that her reasoning and goal for coming back into therapy is due um, really to news of the revival of the park and how it brings back memories in her family's name. Um, so again, whenever like large public events occur, it's often hard for us as therapists to not have known what happened. Um, and I don't know, Tyler, if you've ever actually experienced this with any of your clients, but I have where uh, my clients' traumas had made the news. Um, they, were, they were in my community enough that it made local news or that they, um, they are just common events or knowledge. And, um, you know, as me as a therapist, like we want to stay socially aware of what's going on, um, not just because it's a part of our like ethical codes to know what's happening in the world, but also just because good people know what's going on in their community and how it's affecting their community. Um, We should always kind of have our own insightful knowledge and community engagement. However, for the sake of our clients, um, we need to know what their personal experience of those events were and not the news events. Um, When I've taken on clients that I know their event was public knowledge I don't go seeking out what the news exposure is. Like, I want to know their experience of it. I wouldn't necessarily want a therapist also Googling my name if they knew that I was in the news for something. Um, so kind of making that well known because we do live right now in a world where more and more public events are becoming more and more public knowledge, um, even just through like social media and how we'd like to videotape everything and put it on the internet. Um and again being publicly aware but also not breaking confidentiality in a way of searching your clients online Um, but again how is it affecting them and how is it still affecting them and what they're going through today no matter how long ago the events occurred so for her they uh, occurred roughly when she was 12 years old Um, and where is she now as an adult and she explains the events of being trapped inside the park, the fears and the stress of that night, and um, how she was also really proud of her abilities to help. And we really highlight that moment um, for her in processing just briefly about the past trauma, about how it was her computer skills and she felt really proud of that, that helped rescue people and that she was able to come out of there with trauma experiences, but also a sense of like, I did something to help and I was just a kid. 
So learning more about her history, she explains that she went on to prep school um, where she did have previous therapy from experiencing nightmares, hyper alertness, um, developed light fears of enclosed spaces, um, common signs of like a PTSD like experience, but in so many ways, she's been able to work through and process those events and move from just PTSD to post-traumatic growth. But it doesn't mean that we forget. So now in her adult life, she's been able to settle into her career in life. Um, she's been able to take care of a sickening grandfather and really went through the stress of the hostile takeover of in InGen, right? It's InGen. Mm -hmm. in <laughs> the hostile takeover of InGen by the family member um remembering how much stress it caused her family when uh Heyman's cousin tried to open the additional park in san diego she has experienced what happens when the what ifs that she feared growing up occurred like what if this happens again what if someone tries to t open the park again what if people try to go back and she recalled the first time in therapy processing those what ifs and when she saw it happen within the events surrounding San Diego, she's like, well, it's possible. The what ifs are true. I can find alternative thoughts, but it is possible. So now um, as she focuses on her fears coming back as recent news events increase about people bringing back, going back onto the island with the hopes of reopening the park, she wanted a space to be able to process those connections to the park's histories now as an adult, the events surrounding her family, the fears of it all happening again. So really being able to reprocess from an adult perspective. She had the opportunity to process it from a child's perspective and a teenage perspective, but what it means to look back from an adult perspective and not saying that we processed it wrong growing up. We just processed it at the stage we were developmentally appropriate to process it at. And now as an adult, especially given the fact that she is now at the age where the adults were that helped her that day, she is going to be reprocessing it from that perspective. Cause she's like, well, I was the age of Ellie and, or I'm the age of Ellie now. And I can look back from Ellie's perspective of what it might've been like for her that day. And being able to talk about how current events can trigger press traumas, even if it's just a headline in the news that says, like, local entrepreneurs head back to island known to have dinosaurs. Oh, that's not me. That's not my family anymore. We're not involved. But that triggers people. And the headlines can trigger. So, again, even though she's not directly related to the experience her family's direct involvement and legacy mm -hmm. from it and how she is re-experiencing those traumas. We can, we'll be talking about themes of responsibility and detachment. How can I take responsibility and maybe help prevent things from happening? Like I have this knowledge, it shouldn't happen. My grandfather never wanted it to happen again and yet it's happening again. And I feel this need to, to say something to stop it and try to be responsible. And yet I'm just, I'm detached from the situation. There's not much I think I can do. So talking about that balance between, well, what can we do? How can we take control? And then also how can we process what we can't take control of? And again, how current events can be layered within our past histories and how we may all be responding differently. So I could imagine going into therapy with her, her talking about, well, my brother's responding this way and I don't agree. And I don't understand why he thinks this way and talking about how everyone grows differently from trauma and everyone's going to look back at trauma differently. And it's okay 
and talking about the different stages of grief and where you might be at versus a family member's at and um, still allowing your truth to be your truth despite what maybe another family member has to say about it or what a different public figure has to say about it. Um, you know, she could be watching a news report with Ian. Yes. Ian okay. Malcolm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's Jeff Goldblum. Um, so she could be watching a news report with Ian and he rattling off words and words. And she's like, that's so he could be rattling off words and her feelings about those words. And I agree. I disagree. I don't know what to think about this and really processing like, what is your truth? What was your truth about that day? What was your truth about growing up past that day? What is your truth within your family and how can you feel confident in that truth moving forward and really giving her a space to, to process while current events are still happening, allowing her to come in with, you know, what do you want to talk about this week? As you were mentioning, um, or what's been going on this past week, while also as a therapist, staying up to date with maybe those current events so that I'm not going like, hmm, did that happen this past week? But also going like, okay, yeah. I'm somewhat aware of what's happening. So I, I can communicate with my client, but it's more important about how they're experiencing what's happening. And uh, just kind of giving her that space again to process process of what's happening with raptors again and what's happening mm -hmm. on this on this legacy that is her family's park wonderful and so to go back you know you mentioned like you've you've navigated this with clients before, mm -hmm. where they have experience in having their stories be local news yeah uh, this would be international news so you know even more so more hype. i personally don't have experience yeah. with that However, I will say like, you know, like you said, being aware of current events, being a little bit more plugged in mm -hmm. can be very helpful depending on what you're talking about. Right. Like you said, like just knowing that that came up for the client that week, knowing to be prepared for that when they come in, mm -hmm. uh, not having to have them repeat the story to you because that can be re-traumatizing, um, all sorts of stuff like that. And I mean, mm -hmm. for me and the kind of practice that I have, I think the thing that I've always had my pulse on is like, especially the last, you know, preceding four years before 2021 mm -hmm. was what's going on in the LGBTQ community. Right. Is somebody, you know, attacking rights? Is somebody mm -hmm. threatening against rights? Are people threatening violence? You know, having to keep an eye on that stuff. So that way when my clients come in, I can say like, hey, I saw this was happening. How is that affecting you? Mm -hmm. Right. Because it can be very specific. And I'll use my own life as the example. So it's not breaking any confidentiality. Like I was in a car accident go. years ago and that car accident made the local newspaper because <laughs> like, it was it was a big event. When you think about like what the, the headline was, it wasn't a big article. It was just a little article, but I could technically cut it out and show it to my teachers and explain why I wasn't in class that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, people sent me pictures of the article because they knew it was my life. Um, and so we have very specific moments like that. And then we have global moments and community-based moments and, uh, crisis moments happening within communities. So like for you in the LGBT community, for me, it's a lot of, um, situations happening political, politically with like immigration and mm -hmm. DACA statuses. And, um, especially these last four years and the fear of that, I work with a lot of clients who are affected by those decisions. So wanting to stay up to date with 
oh, this just got passed or this didn't get passed or this um, hate crime occurred, this act of discrimination and racism and or whatever was going on in that week. I need to be aware of that because I want to be like, hey, I'm feeling it. So you should probably be feeling it too. And if you're not feeling it, can we also talk about that? Um, Because what's going on? And inviting a conversation if they want to have a conversation. I I 100% agree. And I think the other thing to say is like, talking about this stuff, your value stuff starts to come up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times I'm aligned with my clients on values that just happens to be the kind of clientele that I get. Every once in a while, somebody somebody comes in and we differ. Yeah. Uh, and there are definitely other therapists out there that differ from my point of view. But what I would say is, like, not to make a big blanket statement, mm-hmm. but to make a big blanket statement. If you're a therapist, regardless of your beliefs, regardless of your personal political values, you should be checking in on the news. Yeah. To know what's happening with your clients. Even if it's local news, even if it's world news, if it's if it's you know United States news, if you're in the states, I know we've got a couple of listeners who aren't. So if you're not, yes. you're listening. You know, you're. Uh, but even as therapists in the United States, we should be looking at what's happening globally because we don't know how global events are affecting our clients. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and to really you know remember that yes, you can take breaks for your own mental health. Mm-hmm. Yes, you you don't have to be on the news all the time because. God only knows how depressing that gets. <laughs> yes. Or anxiety provoking it gets, depending on uh, on your proclivities, I suppose. But uh, really just knowing that there is stuff going on can be a huge relief for clients. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I tend to be the person who brings it up first in the room where it's like, so did you see this thing this week? And they go, oh my God, yes, I did. And then we start talking about it mm-hmm. versus waiting for them to bring it up. And it depends on the subject. Obviously, I'm not going to always do that. But I think some things need to be talked about. Some things need to be said. I know I work with clients that I want to bring it up so that if they haven't seen the news yet, we can talk about it together so that they're not maybe like shell shocked when they are in a grocery store and someone's talking about it. Yeah. Um, Just kind of depending on what it is and depending the the very classic counselor answer it depends it depends yeah but um i think specifically with a case like ours with jurassic park um public knowledge and then i know i did it from a franchise perspective of the newer films about like Mm -hmm. what a character went through in the first film and how they would be experiencing it now that it's happening again um staying up to date with the news is important um, but then also allowing them to speak their truth about their perspective of the news and remembering that this is me and that's them and we're here for them today. Yeah. And then if I'm having stuff come up, that's time for me to go to my own space and do it. <laughs> yeah. And that is the benefit of the second, you know, part the second incident on Isla Nublar because Jurassic yeah. World is also on that same island. Uh, the second incident is public knowledge. Yep. The first incident in that franchise is not public knowledge until Ian Malcolm releases his book. Mm-hmm. And that is much later that he yep. does that. Uh, it, it is kept secret. It is kept quiet. And the only people who survived were the, you know, five survivors, mm-hmm. five, yeah, five, six survivors, six, six survivors who get away in that helicopter at the end of the movie. Yeah. 
that's not a lot of people. It's a really easy, a lot easier to keep it quiet. Meanwhile, Jurassic World, when that incident happens, it's with a park full of visitors. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that that's kept quiet. In, nope. in a world where smartphones exist, there's no way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no way. And so it is a different idea. She yeah. has this thing where it was something she had to keep quiet. It was something that you couldn't talk about. And as a kid, that is like really difficult mm-hmm. because if you can't talk about it, then it becomes this huge thing. And now it's this thing that weighs on you all the time and you, you just keep carrying it. You keep carrying it and keep carrying it and keep carrying it. And especially in her case of something like, it's something I can't talk about publicly, but you know, my grandfather's still getting dragged through the office Yeah, and I'm still advocating for him as an adult. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. One last question, of course, though. Why Lexi? Because I did kids in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do have a, I, I love working with minors, um, but I also, you know, I, I don't think we talk a lot about minors who are now as adults in therapy. We talk about like a minor that is in therapy or we talk about like um, adults that are maybe coming in for the first time given whatever their history was, but really thinking about it from a perspective of someone who's like therapy hopped throughout their life and how current events are affecting them now. And um, when I was kind of doing my idea of this, I didn't necessarily want to be like pluck her out and talk to her in the moment I wanted to think about like, okay, what would she be experiencing as an adult? Uh, how would she respond what is this to like what this look like? Later. Right. Because yeah. the, the the franchise differences within canon is about 20 years, I do believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what would this be like for her to hear in the news? And I think just with everything going on currently as well, I think a lot of clients are experiencing that of like, I'm seeing this in the news and my my stuff is getting triggered again. And if we just mm-hmm. think about big picture wise with COVID, I've had to talk about how a lot with clients about how COVID has made us re-experience things that we thought we already processed. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's the idea of like, okay, we've processed it through the lens of the living room. Um, COVID shook the house and now we have to process it from different angles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and she's cool. <laughs> she is a cool girl who is kick-ass and is a computer hacker, even though that computer screen is like a video game <laughs> and is like the easiest computer hack. Uh, but like she really steps up in the movies and um, she's a cool kid. That's right. Who grows well, up, a, in my mind, as a cool adult. <laughs> there you go. She's a better computer hacker than Samuel L. Jackson. So there is that. Yes, very true. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. And that is us for this time. So we're just going to wrap this up right now. Take care, everyone. We'll see you at the next episode. Bye, y'all. Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com. Mm-hmm.